And welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. Remember to stop by growingpatriots.com for fun extras that go with this episode and every episode. There are videos, coloring pages, and all kinds of good stuff, so don't miss out. Now, when we left off last time, the Continental Congress had decided that it was time for the American colonies to be free, to be their own country, and a military had been created because we knew we would have to fight a war for that freedom. So what was left to do? Declare independence. And this episode, we're going to talk to Thomas Jefferson himself, the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence, and find out what that was like, what didn't make the cut, and why it is still so important to us today. But first, some questions from my buddy, Nate. Hi, my name is Nate Green. I'm eight and I'm in third grade. And I would like to ask you some questions about the Declaration of Independence. Why did we need to declare independence? Were there any arguments over what was in it? Does the Declaration still mean anything today? Those are all really good questions. And who better to answer them than Thomas Jefferson himself? Here we go. Mr. President, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I always enjoy talking, especially with young people. Great. Well, Nate's first question is a great one. Why did we need to declare independence? Well, we were citizens of Great Britain, and we were happy to be citizens of Great Britain. Uh, They had sent colonies over to the New World, and by the time the Declaration of Independence occurred, we had 13 colonies. But they had mistreated us. They were taxing us without letting us be represented in their parliament. Uh, They were quartering troops in our homes without our permission and without compensation. Uh, They they sent an army over to put down the rebellion in in the Boston area. Uh, And they did a whole range of other things that we found intolerable. We really wanted to work things out with our mother country because we really did regard ourselves as English citizens. But finally, we just thought enough is enough. There's no way we're going to be able to work this out with them. So we may as well declare ourselves to be an independent country where we can govern ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how did the task of writing that come to be yours? I was the youngest member of the Virginia delegation to something called the Second Continental Congress. I was from Virginia. I was 33 years old. That may seem old to, to all of you, but it was very young in that body of men. And we met in Philadelphia to try to determine how to respond to to British tyranny and to the invasion of our uh, country by the troops, the Redcoats of England. And so it became clear that we were going to have to become independent, but we needed a sort of a, a statement, a news release, a way of telling the world why we were doing this. We needed to justify our actions. And so A committee of five was established in June of 1776. I was one of those five people. Two of the committee men uh, withdrew, and that left Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and me. And Franklin decided that he would rather that one of the two of us do it. And John Adams came to me and he said, Mr. Jefferson, you must write this declaration because you're a Virginian, and that's important, and because you are a better writer than I am, 
and because John Adams said he was um, a controversial figure, and if he wrote it, maybe his own, um, the, the difficulties that he had presented to other members of the Continental Congress would, would make the debate harder. And so I didn't really want to do this. I was pretty shy, and I, I didn't feel that I should um, have the authority to write for America. But when you're asked to do something like this, um, you just have to do it. And so I s agreed, and then I wrote uh, a draft of the Declaration of Independence in a single afternoon, and then tinkered with it for a week or two and uh, showed it to John Adams and, and Dr. Franklin, and they made some suggestions. But on the whole, it was mine. And we handed it in uh, to the Second Continental Congress on the 28th of June, 1776. And the, the early the next week, they debated it for two days before unanimously adopting a version of it. I should say that they changed a lot in what I had written. And I, I, I was a little upset by that because nobody likes to be edited. But uh, I understood that this was not my moment. This was an American moment. And uh, I approved more or less of what they produced on the 4th of July. Now you talked a little bit about the debate that happened that lasted for two whole days. What, what were some of the things that people disagreed on? A couple of things. First of all, I had, I had tried to be very clear and rational, but at times I became more passionate in my bitterness about the way we had been treated by, um, by England. And the members of the Continental Congress toned that down a little. They wanted to make it a little less personal, a little more objective. Um, so that was one part. The other thing is that uh, I had a long paragraph about slavery. And, you know, I'm a slaveholder. Um, many of the founding fathers were slaveholders, but we knew this was wrong. We knew that a free country can't own slaves. And so I put uh, a paragraph in the declaration that accused George III, the England uh, king, of perpetuating the slave trade, of keeping it going when we might, want to, might have wanted to stop it or to regulate it. Um, and I hope that by writing that paragraph, which stretched the facts a little bit, uh, we could start to get out from under slavery, that this would be our, our first attempt to, to um, stop importing slaves from Africa, to stop buying and selling slaves, and maybe even move towards um, emancipation. And so I thought that this was, a, this was our first great statement as a nation, and we should we should make it clear to the world that we, we understood that slavery was wrong and that we intended to rectify this, I hope, sooner rather than later. And so that paragraph, uh, which was the longest paragraph in the entire document, was, was uh, removed in the end because several members from South Carolina and Georgia um, said they wouldn't sign it if that attack on slavery was kept in. And, and frankly, several New England states were a little uneasy too because they were sending ships to Africa. They were involved in the slave trade and they were prospering from it. And so we needed to have a unanimous declaration. We could not have any dissent. We could not have states refusing to, um, to ratify. And so reluctantly, uh, I watched that paragraph be removed from the final document. And I think we lost something important in, in that because the revolutionary moment doesn't come very often. And when a revolution comes, you have a chance to do all sorts of things that would be very difficult to do on a routine basis. And this was the time for us to address this terrible issue. But we didn't. Uh, we, we, we postponed a settlement of the problem of slavery. 
And in fact, it, it didn't, as you know, occur during my lifetime. It took um, another half a century before uh, the Civil War put an end to all of that. Yes, absolutely. It took a few more, few more generations to make that right. I'm sorry to see that because I wrote All Men Are Created Equal. And of course, I meant men and women. And I meant everybody, uh, white men and black women and Native Americans and Muslims and Jews and uh, atheists, that every human being, irrespective of the accident of his birth, is entitled to be treated identically in the law, that, that if there is a God, that God doesn't distinguish between white and black and red or male and female. He regards every human being as, as equal. And therefore, natural law must extend to everybody. So this was a chance for us to start to undo this. You know, I have to say, I'm, I'm a slaveholder, so I, I plead guilty to this. I, I bought and sold slaves all of my life. I own more than 200 slaves. Uh, I feel very uneasy about that, but I have to, I have to admit it because it, history um, will verify that this was true. So Nate may be thinking, well, how can you really be a lover of liberty if you own slaves? I had to think about that all of my life, and um, I knew I knew it was a problem. I knew it was hypocrisy, but I also knew that the words that I wrote in the Declaration of Independence would eventually embrace everybody, and that they had a revolutionary potency that would not end with my lifetime. It, the, the, that document would continue to liberate people uh, long into the future, perhaps forever, and that I must simply be patient um, and wait for the better judgment of our children and grandchildren. Yes, absolutely. So now in the year 2020, in the 21st century, um, you talked about how your words would have meaning forever. What, what does the Declaration of Independence mean to us today? Well, it puts every government on, on probation. You, know, you grow up and, and you realize at some point that, oh, there's a government. There's a, there's a city government, there's a state government, there's a national government. Um, and you sort of assume they've always been there. But that's not really true. We create them. They are a, a, an expression of the will of the people. The people are sovereign. The people control their own destiny. And the people gather and they produce a government. And in some places it's a parliamentary democracy. In some places it's an aristocracy. In some places it's an oligarchy or a tyranny. In this, our happy nation, we created a republic. And so we constructed that government. And then we ratified the constitution that, that, that created that government. So it's not something that's inevitable and it's not something that you can't tamper with. So whenever any government becomes oppressive, it taxes without your consent or it overregulates or it begins to ignore the will of the people or it violates its own constitutional boundaries, then the people have to step in and take control of their lives again. They have to say stop. And saying stop isn't just rhetorical. It may require muskets and pitchforks and battles. It may, may require blood. But people have a right to govern themselves. And if they create a government to do it on their behalf, that government must be responsive to the will of the people. And when it ceases to be, then the people have a right and even a duty to rise up and overthrow that government. So the, the Declaration of Independence is really about the right to revolution. And I think that's absolutely essential. But it also says this, and this is so very important, every human being is born with rights. Those rights are not granted by the king or by the parliament or by the Congress of the United States or the president. Those rights are inherent. To be human is to have rights. 
And governments often forget this. In fact, they almost always forget this. And so the people need to keep reminding government, you must realize that the rights come from God or from life itself, not from constitutions or kings. And so when our governments become unresponsive to the needs of the people, then we have to change them. And so that's really the essential argument of the Declaration of Independence. It sort of works like this. Under certain conditions, people have a right to revolution. We feel those conditions have been met in the United Colonies of America. Therefore, we are declaring independence. And that wasn't just a one-time event. It could happen again and again and again in human history. But nothing like this had really happened before. This was a big moment. This was the pivotal moment in human history, I think. Now, of course, I have to be careful because we always think that we're more important than probably we are historically. But I think when the long-term history of humanity is written a thousand years from now, they will point to 1776 as the pivotal moment. That's the moment when the, when the people of the United States and then later the rest of the world demanded that their rights be cherished and they broke with the habits of the past and started a new round of, of human possibility. And I think that every subsequent liberation of people, um, it will take centuries perhaps, will pivot on not only uh, that moment in, in 1776, but I, I say this and I say this, I hope with humility, it will pivot on my document that anyone else could have written this document. If I'd never been born, you would still be free, I feel certain. But I wrote it in a certain kind of way that continues to resonate with people long after my own time. And that's what a, a great writer does. So a lot of us have the same feelings, but you need to put them into words that people can embrace, that people can rally around, that people can find inspiring, and people can find definitive. And I was able to do that. So I do think that um, that my authorship of the Declaration of Independence is probably important. But I will say very honestly, you would still un undoubtedly be a free people had I never been born. So when everyone was meeting and decided it was time to declare independence, that was obviously a very serious moment. Are there any stories um, that we don't, you know, letter lesser known stories that we don't know about that time, things that aren't in our history books? Well, I'm sure it's all in, in, in your books, not necessarily the books that young people have a chance to read in mm -hmm. school, because of course they have to be um, short and, and somewhat simplified. But I, I can tell you this, that there was no way of polling the American people, so we didn't really know what the American people felt. And I think there were about 3 million Americans at the time, and most of them lived within 20 or 30 miles of the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm guessing if there had been a way of polling the people, kind of a plebiscite, in 1776 that the great majority would have said, what's all the fuss about? Let's just work it out with England. We want to be loyal subjects of the king. And so it was not a, a universally held view that we should declare independence. In fact, probably most people were very worried about declaring independence. And so this was a cadre of revolutionary people, George Washington and John Adams and um, uh, Samuel Adams and people from my own state in Virginia, uh, including myself, who um, who led this on behalf of the people, but but without necessarily knowing quite what the people wanted. 
So that's one thing. Um, you know, it's, it's Benjamin Franklin who, who famously said about this that we needed we needed a unanimity. We couldn't we couldn't have a split vote. He said we 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 must hang together, or assuredly we will hang separately. And so we had to find a consensus. And what happened was that we would have declared independence much sooner had it not been for some conservatives in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York and several other colonies who weren't ready. And so John Adams was a brilliant um, political strategist. And he, he kept saying, we, we must wait until we have unanimity. We must wait until everyone can get on board with this idea. And people were coming and going from the Continental Congress and people agonized over this. People realized not only was this a very grave thing to do, but it, it might have consequences if, if the revolution collapsed and it easily could have. Uh, we probably would have been hanged or um, drawn and quartered or um, executed in some way, certainly imprisoned, and our estates would have been confiscated and our lives would have been shattered. And so this was not just uh, an event in the history of civics. This was a, um, a revolution against the most powerful nation in the world. And we were aware of the gravity of what we were doing, but it was Adams who understood that you don't want to do this prematurely. You want to make sure everybody can agree. And so we waited and waited and waited. And finally, uh, it was a unanimous resolution uh, and then a unanimously adopted declaration. So this was this was his work. You know, he's, he's underrated. Um, I got most of the credit because I wrote that document. George Washington got a lot of the credit because he was the commander in chief. Um, John Hancock's name is the largest name on the signing of the Declaration of Independence. He, he was not a very important person. But the person behind the scenes who was working hardest at all of this was John Adams. And, and I will say this, for the rest of his life, he felt that he, would, he, he never quite got uh, the respect and the um, acclaim that he deserved. And he, he resented some of the rest of us. And even though we were dear friends, um, in some respects, he resented me. Be hard. Absolutely. Now, you um, mentioned that you didn't know how this would turn out. This was a very big risk that you were taking. And, at, you know, in 1776, communication was very slow, especially across an entire ocean. So it must have really been some sort of scary to send off a document like that and wait to see. <laughs> uh, of course. So we didn't know what would happen, but, but we had some assurance. So number one, uh, George Washington realized that he could not defeat the largest army and the most powerful navy in the world by a direct conflict. That if we got into a pitched battle with the Redcoats of England, they would have defeated us because they had power and money and ordnance and guns and ammunition and military training that we just didn't have. And so we were up against a superpower. And George Washington soon realized that he couldn't fight that face-to-face -face battle or, or we would be crushed. And so he began to fight small skirmishes to keep on the move, to, to bide for time, to try to wear Britain down and to try to wait for the main chance, which eventually came thanks to the French fleet at Yorktown. So that's the first thing that, that, that Washington slowly adopted a, a very brilliant strategy of how to win the war. And in a sense, you win the war by not losing it. As long as we didn't lose the war, we would win for the second reason, and that is an island 3,000 miles away can't control a continent. Um, it just can't be done. The supply lines are too long. The distances are too great. Uh, the, the transit time for messages or, or treaties or troops is simply um, uh, too huge. 
And so there's no way that in the long run, this island was going to be able to muster enough resources, human and otherwise, to continue to tyrannize us. And, and that's the third reason, which is related to this. And that is that because we were so far from England, we had really had to learn to govern ourselves all along for several centuries already. The colonies had been kind of handling most of their own affairs. We hadn't turned to parliament or to the ministry in England for everything. We had had to make it up as we went along. The Mayflower Compact was a, a, an early constitution uh, written on board the, the Mayflower before people got to Plymouth. And each colony, in a sense, had to find ways to, to handle much of its own governance in the absence of uh, sufficient supervision uh, from Great Britain. And so by the time the revolution came, we had already, in some sense, been an independent people for a long time. That's a point that John Adams made, and he, he was absolutely right. So the habits of, of self-government had been in our blood for many um, decades and really for, for a number of generations by the time we eventually broke with England. So, no, Mr. Jefferson, thank you so much for joining us today. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but if you could just leave us with a couple of things, what do we really need to remember about the Declaration of Independence? Well, you need to realize a couple of things. Um, you need to be ready when the moment comes. So, you know, I wasn't just plucked out of nowhere to do this. I, I was chosen, even though I was young and, and not very famous, um, because I was known as a, as, a, as a really serious scholar who had read everything, and particularly the books of the Enlightenment, books like John Locke's Second Treatise on Government. And so I had read so much and I was such a good scholar and writer that when that moment came and they turned to me, I was ready. And if I hadn't done that work, if they had turned to someone like Patrick Henry, who was a very lazy reader, he wouldn't have been able to do it because he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't be prepared. And so for every young person who, who hears this, I would say just, you need to be ready. And, and the way to get ready is to read, 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 uh, to read more than your teachers ever uh, suggest and to learn languages if you can. Uh, I knew seven, maybe that's too many in your time, but you should know Spanish and you should probably know French. And if you're going to be a scholar, Latin, uh, but you should you should know another language, certainly. And if you're going to only learn one, it would be Spanish, of course, because uh, we have to share the Western hemisphere with Spanish speaking people. So that's number one is to be prepared. And, 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 and you don't know when that moment is going to come and, and it's too late when the moment comes, if you haven't already done the preparation. And secondly, when, you, when you're thinking about a question, if it's a very simple thing that happens to affect you at, your, at this moment in time, try to take the long view, the universal view, what, not just what, how it affects you in this place at this moment, but how it affects the whole human project. Try to see deeper and to, and to, and to find universal truths or universal principles that you can articulate because, because life is everywhere the same. People on earth are all the same in human nature. We all want the best for our children. We want to prosper if we can. We want to be free of government intrusion. Every human being wants the same things. And so if you can universalize your struggle, um, that's a good thing. For example, the reason that I was the writer of the Declaration of Independence in part was because I was a Virginian. And John Adams rightly understood that the revolution was being perceived as a New England trade rebellion, Massachusetts Bay. And he didn't want our revolution to be misunderstood as a simple little uh, squabble over taxes and, and tea. And so he wanted to 
universalize the revolution by getting people from every colony involved, and particularly Virginia, because we were the, the wealthiest of the colonies. We were the largest uh, geographically, and we had the largest population. And so he did two things. He got George Washington to be the commander-in-chief of Virginia, and he got me to write the Declaration of Independence of Virginia. And that meant that nobody could say, oh, this is just a bunch of hotheads um, in Boston. And so that that move to universalize, to, 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 to find the widest consensus for your point of view um, is a really important one. Uh, and the third thing I would say is that you, you must have a sense of timing. If we had um, published the Declaration of Independence a year earlier, it would have fallen flat. If we had published it three years later, uh, Britain might uh, have already won the war. You have to know when that moment comes and you have to be ready and you have to be bold but you also have to control your anger. You have to control your rage or your discontentment and put it into language that other reasonable people um, can understand and get behind. Absolutely, those are important things to remember. And who knows, one of the kids listening today might be an, someone to change the world in the future. I believe very strongly that that's true. You know, the um, I, I had a famous um, correspondence with John Adams about this and. And I said that what we want in America is natural aristocrats. So like in Europe, aristocrats are born. You're born into a famous or, or wealthy or hereditary family. But in America, it's merit. And so anyone who's, who's listening to me, whether you grew up in wealth or poverty, uh, whether you grew up in a city or in the country, uh, whether your prospects in life have been narrow or whether they have been broad, uh, whether your family has encouraged you or not, whether you're a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim, if you work hard and really concentrate on your dreams, you are as important as any other human being who exists in the United States. And you could be president, you could be a Supreme Court justice, you could be a United States Senator, or for that matter, you could be a philosopher or a poet or a dancer, and they're all worthy things. No one uh, standard fits all, but people should know that merit still matters in America, probably more than in any other place on earth, and you should never forget that, that in this country, anybody can achieve something uh, if they work really hard at it and stay focused. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for, for the words that started all of this experiment in freedom. I believe that the earth belongs to the living. And so people like Nate and his companions are the future. And I hope that they will handle it uh, with great joy, but with a firm insistence on human rights. Thank you so much. I think they just will. That was incredible. I learned so much today. How about you? We learned that the American colonies decided they had to be free because they were tired of decisions being made without checking with them. Great Britain had sent troops to live in their towns and cities, and they really wanted to work things out, but enough was enough. When it came time to declare independence, they picked Thomas Jefferson to write it. He was from Virginia, he was a great writer. Benjamin Franklin really didn't want to, and John Adams, well, he was a little controversial. So some people might read it differently if they knew John Adams wrote it, and he was worried that he might take it a little personally and maybe sound angry when he was writing it, and they couldn't have that. So even though Thomas Jefferson was shy and really didn't want to be in the spotlight, he had to be brave and do it for America. 
After that, the whole Continental Congress talked about it for two whole days to decide what was going to be in it. And actually, they still wanted to make it sound even less angry than what Thomas Jefferson wrote. They wanted to sound very calm and very reasonable. One change that really bothered Thomas Jefferson was that he said all men were created equal, and he meant all people, everyone. So he had a part in about slavery and how wrong that was. But the Continental Congress wouldn't vote unanimously. That means that not every single person would vote for that, so they had to take it out for now. Then, once they were a free country, they felt they could address that themselves, but it still took several more generations. So what does the Declaration mean to us today? It means that the people create their government and then the government has to work for them. As Thomas Jefferson put it, the government is on probation, which is like a trial period where they have to prove that they can do the job right. And when the government doesn't do their job right or they mistreat people, we get to tell them to stop. Just as important, it also says that every single human being is born with rights. We don't get them from the government, we already have them. And putting all of that into writing, the idea that we all have rights, and the idea that we are in charge of the government, the people are in control, was huge. That's a moment that changed the entire world. But remember, when they were writing it, they really didn't know what American colonists thought. They weren't able to check and see with people like we are today because there just wasn't that kind of communication available. Honestly, a lot of people probably wanted to take the easy way out and just stay loyal to England, but then we wouldn't have had these freedoms that we have today to enjoy. They also had to time it absolutely perfectly. If they had done it too soon, then the colonists wouldn't understand what all the fuss was about. But if they had waited too long, it might have been too late. What's important to remember is that we all want the same thing, to live freely, and that like Thomas Jefferson, any of us can change the future. I'd like to thank Clay Jenkinson for joining us this week playing Thomas Jefferson. Clay is a humanities scholar, an author, and a social commentator, but he's also the leading interpreter of Thomas Jefferson in the country. He is the voice of Thomas Jefferson and produces the nationally syndicated NPR program, The Thomas Jefferson Hour, which you can check out at jeffersonhour.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Growing Patriots. And visit growingpatriots.com for resources that go with this episode and every other episode. Give us a five-star rating wherever you listen and share with a couple of friends. Thanks so much. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand for liberty. And they fought so we would be. America, land of the free. Distributed by FCB Radio Network.